Good afternoon, Raleigh, and welcome to this week's Eye on the Triangle on 88.1 WKNC HD1 Raleigh. I am Nick Weaver. Welcome to our show. We've got a great show for you today with a variety of local topics sure to pique your interest. Following that, we'll have Marissa's opinion piece about the Harvey Weinstein scandal. And that is sure going to be interesting. You won't want to miss that. Stay tuned, though. First, here is Matt. I'm here with Jalen McClendon, quarterback for NC State University Wolfpack. He's decked out in (laughs) representing uh, his team. And I know this... Fine young gentleman from Spanish class. Yeah. And hopefully uh, at some point during this interview, we'll spend maybe at least 30 seconds conversing in uh, Spanish. Yeah. If you want. A we'll little see. bit, yeah. We'll see. Un poquito. Um, because I think our teacher would be uh, would be upset if we didn't. Yeah, right? definitely. No okay. doubt. Well, uh, I'm happy to have you in, and thank you for coming in today. Um, really curious, and I think – a lot of our listeners would be curious to uh, understand what it's like to be a big-time collegiate athlete, what the experience is like um, going into a stadium that has how, – how many how many people does Carter-Finley Stadium hold? Uh, 66, I want to say. And, yeah. and, and they, there's not an empty seat in the building, right? Yeah, like uh... – Vividly, I can remember the uh, Louisville game that we played a couple weeks ago, and I still remember the Florida State game from my freshman year, so 2014. Yeah, 2014. And it was like just red. All you saw was red and white, and like no seats were like empty. And I mean, it's a it's just great. Like uh, like you once you come in the stadium. Like everybody's roaring, like you can't hear a thing. Like I know uh, when Bo Hans for, first scored, like I was literally yelling to a, to a teammate, like I can't I can't hear what he was saying back to him, uh, to me. And the same on uh, Thursday night when we played Louisville, just when we uh, scored that first touchdown, it was like like it was like something exploding, like you can't like really hear anything. What is it like on campus when when you like the, the day after or when you have to get back to to regular life? When you're when you're used to to getting out on the gridiron on the field and you hear the crowds and your mindset is is just of like, I mean I don't even know what your mindset is like. Yeah. But but w- when you when you transition back to like Monday morning or Tuesday morning when yeah. you got to go to class, like what what is that like? I mean it's a bit it's it's a bittersweet feeling. Uh, I mean, <laughs> but we like we all know we're student athletes, like what we really came here for, so. Uh, but I mean, definitely like going from game day, having all that excitement, and then like once uh, once the game's over, like you you pretty much get in the routine. Of, we gotta go to such and such on Sunday. Then we got class starting on Monday. So I mean, it's it's more of a routine. You get used to it. But I mean, it's a it's a bittersweet feeling, so, especially. So speaking of routines, what is the routine like? Uh, the, walk me through the week because you have to bet you have a whole different type of balance than a traditional student here at the university. Yeah. So I 
I think you may have one time said you guys get up at four o'clock in the morning. Yeah. I, I don't know if that's the case or not, but like, what is what is the routine? All right. So, so we well, we had a bye week this week, but if we had a game like a regular game, so this week this would be week would be perfect. Uh, so yesterday we had a uh, we had well for me I had treatment, so I had to go to treatment eleven o'clock. Uh, so it's not too early, but. Then we have what's, me. Uh, what's uh, wrong with you right now? Did you injure yourself? Yeah, just just a little tweak. I'm good though. You had a tweak. Yeah, but uh, eleven o'clock treatment. Then after that, we have a lift at one o'clock. Then after lift, we have meetings pretty much all the way from like two thirty to about four thirty ish, five o'clock ish, and then like uh, so for quarterbacks, we usually stay a little bit longer to get a little, you know, what I'm saying like a a more uh, good look at our uh, opponent or whatever. So we stay around maybe six, seven-ish, then go home and, like, you do whatever. Monday, so you're studying. You're yeah, studying, studying film. film. Yeah. Then Mondays, uh, we have lift 930, then uh, film. So I just got done with film. Like, from – so after 930 or – well, we got done with lift at 1030. Uh, so I just watched film about three hours maybe. And then Tuesdays practice at uh well mandatory check in seven thirty. Then uh we have breakfast at the stadium. Then we have uh meetings all the way from uh ten thirty maybe. Then ten thirty we have practice and that's the same routine for uh Tuesdays through Thursdays. Do you guys eat together as a team? Yeah. Uh so lunch, they provide a breakfast and lunch for us every day. Uh, the whole team, or do you do you break break out into like uh, offense versus defense? Or oh no, no, it's a, it's an entire team, entire team. Yeah. Okay. So wow, that's a um. Yeah, it's a it's a. It's and a then you still got to go to class. Yeah. So like, it's a quick turnaround, especially if you have a one thirty class, because that's when all the well, that's when the football players start their classes, because we get uh, we have practice in the morning, so. Soon as we got practice, like we're on the road, like you gotta get showered, gotta get in the cold tub, gotta eat, and then like you're rushing, bust your butt to get to class, like because it's off campus, so you gotta drive like ten minutes to get over here, and you hope that it's not traffic uh, for like lunch or whatever, because then you might maybe like ten, fifteen minutes. They late. don't give you a bus or anything. Nah, I mean like you. Uh, Cause you had like you had to get a parking pass and you know it's hard parking over oh, here. Oh, it's the worst. Yeah. So, <laughs> so like if you don't have a parking pass or anything, like you gotta, you either got park off campus or like you gotta take the uh, catch the bus. But by the time you catch the bus, it's already like one fifteen. So you got fifteen minutes to get to class from, uh, Hills or not Hillsborough Street Western. So if anybody out there feels that uh, college athletes get special treatment for their parking. They're completely wrong. Oh, yeah, completely Com- wrong. You have totally. the same struggles that all yeah, of us totally have. totally wrong. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Jalen. Well, let me let, – let's go back a little bit to, like, uh, your youth, even though you're young now. Yeah. What – what uh, when did you first get into football? Uh, I mean, I, don't, I always played it as a kid, like backyard football. But yeah. I think my first organized year of football was when I was maybe seven – Seven or eight, yeah. And and you you grew up in uh, in Mecklenburg County. 
Uh, yeah, so I'm originally from Monroe, North Carolina. So okay, that's well, Union County. Okay, okay. And then uh, when I was in third grade, I moved to Charlotte. So I stayed in Charlotte for the rest of my life. But uh, yeah, I, yeah. So so your your schools are like your high schools or like the Charlotte area high schools. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So when did you first uh, realize that that you wanted to be a quarterback? Or you had the talent. Yeah, I always had it as a kid. You, like you had it. You yeah. had the arm. Yeah. So like every time, like everybody caught, like somebody calls all time QB. It was all like it was always me. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then getting into uh, like when you when you moved on from from Pop Warner, whatever it's called in in Charlotte. Yeah. And then you went into grade school and then high school. Did um, how much of a change was that? When you uh from so from middle school to high school, uh like I like I was thrown in the fire immediately. So I played like a couple games on JV. Then varsity, like I played like my fourth or fifth game. Like I was like nervous, like couldn't like couldn't get my my hands ready, couldn't get my mind ready. But I mean, I like I handled it. I think I handled it pretty good. How tall were you as a fr- as a freshman in high school? Uh, five nine. I want yeah, five, five nine, nine, five nine, and five ten. What you're about? You're six five now. Yeah, right? six five. Okay, so you you were a varsity. Were you varsity as uh yeah as a freshman. Yeah. So they threw they threw you right in. Yeah. Okay. Um, did you have any rival teams or personal uh rivals in your high school school system that ended up going on to to play collegiate at the collegiate level oh yeah so uh yeah okay. uh like I, like you knew, usually know a lot of guys around charlotte because we always play each other so uh one of the biggest rivals uh down the street um the light blue team uh casein uh casein collins he plays a uh, linebacker for him but uh one of the biggest guys um uh, he went to Harden, which is right down the street from my school, and now he plays at Duke. Uh, he's running back there, so like we always used to go at it there. Hmm. So he's at Duke. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, now we were talking about this out in the hallway, but uh, and some research that I was doing on you before the interview, yeah. I saw just a a beautiful picture, and I I want you to sort of take me through the moment of this because uh it's uh, i'm going to show you the picture right here it's after you scored a touchdown i believe yeah. in 2016 uh, but take a look at that and just explain what was going on um in your mind and uh your parents looked like they were full of joy yeah and we'll probably post that on the on the website too. all right yeah but uh yeah this uh so this was last year uh we, I think, I can't remember if we needed a game to go to a bowl, or we needed to win and go to a bowl game or not. But, uh, so our, our other quarterback got hurt, Ryan Finley, he got hurt. Yeah, so I played the rest of the game for like the third, third to the fourth quarter, I think. Uh, I mean, I played, I played some of this game before, but he didn't play anymore, so I played the rest of the game. Um, like we just, we just need to get a couple first downs. Um, end up getting them. Then we uh, Matt Days just uh got tackled, or yeah, Matt Days got tackled. Uh, then I took a knee. Then like that was the game, and like everybody was just so happy we won the game because like it was an important, obviously it was an important game because it was Chapel Hill, but it was important because we needed it first and foremost. So, 
uh, after the game, uh, saw my family there. Uh, Who's all in that picture with? Yeah, so uh, it's my dad with the black hat and the red NC State shirt on. Then I'm hugging my uh, stepmom, and then I don't, I don't really know the, uh, the rest of you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. oh, they weren't they weren't with you. Yeah, yeah, okay. it was just those two. I, I know. Okay, well, I mean, Jalen, that's a um, that's a really not a really strong image, beautiful image. Yeah, and uh, maybe we can get the guy that took that picture to send you the high yeah. resolution photo. He said, he still owes me. Uh, he, he said he was gonna send it. He yeah, never anonymous it. news observer. He I, still owes me. <laughs> we're, we're we're gonna we're gonna find him. We're gonna track him down. <laughs> But um, so now you're you're here you're here at a radio station that primarily plays music, and I understand uh, music runs in your family. Mm-hmm. So, um, what's your mom do? Uh, she's a she's a gospel singer. Now, has she uh, has she uh, been on any 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 records that uh, that we could maybe look up in our library? Uh, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure I'll have to uh, call her and ask her, but I'm pretty sure she's on a couple, I know she's on a CD, of course, like, for sure. Did she sing any nice, uh, uh, bedtime songs to you growing yeah, up? Yeah, all the time, all the time. <laughs> what uh, was the best one? Uh, mm, I, uh, Twinkle, what, yeah, Twinkle. She doesn't mean yeah, Twinkle. Yeah, 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 but, Twinkle, I can't remember the story, but Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star, or, uh, I can't remember, but it's so long ago. Everything you've said so far today is we. Mm-hmm. Has that always been ingrained? Did you when you were when you were uh, when you were growing up when you started throwing the ball, mm-hmm. you knew this was a team game. Yeah, and like you, you just everything is we 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 we. Sometimes guys in team sports get that eye yeah. going. Is there any type of like? discipline inside of uh of a, a collegiate uh football team that where uh maybe the coach you know sees a guy getting out of line getting too individual about it does does anything like that uh ever go on yeah i mean it, de- it definitely goes on i think you can see that at uh like many different schools but uh i know for me um like that's just how i was raised like without football period just like it's not about you all the time. Like it's about it's about it's bigger than yourself, pretty much. I I get I get that sense from you. It's just like the way you come across. You yeah. Know? Was there any internal rivalries? Just like fun type of fun type of rivalries uh, within the uh, within the team, where like you know uh, the defensive backs uh, are upset with you for some reason. Oh yeah, like, no doubt. Like what 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 like t- take me inside that area. Yeah, really no great. doubt. Uh I mean every day like uh so everybody has a co- uh, football camp in the summer uh right before the season starts and that that's probably the most competitive time of the year cuz you getting ready for the season or whatever. So uh like we're always going against the DBs or the corners or safeties, linebacks, whoever. Uh, so my roommate Chubb, like we're always going back and forth. Like he'll he'll uh, sat me one play. I'll be like, all right, I, I got you next play. You know what I'm saying? Or like we have a deep ball to uh, like over one of the corners. I was like, I, I told you, like I told you it was gonna happen. But I mean, it's just competitive spirit. Uh, right. Yeah. Like you you always competing all the time. Like you trying you trying to do better than the next guy. You know. You roommate with. With guys on the team, yeah, is that is that a standard? Uh, no, nah, you don't have to. You but, don't have to. Okay. Yeah, but uh, I mean, usually, like it's, it'll be like outdoor in there too. Uh, not room with you know what I'm saying, like your teammates or whatever. 
Okay. So outside of football, what uh, what type of things interest you? Um, I, I'm really a laid back guy, but uh, like I I like to stargaze. Actually, I'm into like uh, str- like I just started getting into astronomy. A little bit, yeah. I see. I know it's your what shirt. What kind of shirt really. am I wearing today? Yeah, NASA. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, li- I like astronomy. Uh, I like uh, fishing. Uh, like just walking around lakes. I like being around the water. Is there a secret spot around campus where you can go and catch some bass? Oh, uh, not. I don't know about any bass. You you might catch some brim or something. But uh, <laughs> uh, right. Uh, I think not. I don't know if it's called Lake Raleigh or Lake Johnson. Lake Johnson, yeah, right. yeah, it's yeah. pretty close to here. Yeah, it's a nice, uh, nice walking yeah. area. Yeah, there too. it is. And then uh, there's no bass in there. Nah, I don't, I don't think it. any uh, bass in there. <laughs> but I know uh, Lake Johnson and and Durham. Yeah, definitely, definitely some bass you can get. Do you have a girlfriend? Nah, no time for that. Yeah, not really. And and how uh, how much longer are you going to be at NC State? Uh, so I have I I registered my freshman year, so okay. I have two more years here. Two more years. Yeah. And how far are you gonna go in Spanish? Uh, well, I had to take uh, I had to take two hundred one, so I got I still have another semester. You're gonna stop at two hundred one? Yeah, uh, I think so. All right, Jalen, it's been a pleasure having you on today. Is there is there anything else uh that that you want people to know about you? Um, nah, I mean I'm a I'm a pretty laid back guy, funny, goofy guy. Always got a smile on my face. Uh, nice guy to be around. I think I attract a lot of people by my personality, the person I am. So I think that's pretty much it. Jalen McClendon, thank you so much for coming on today. It's been a pleasure, and it's also been a pleasure to have a Spanish class with you. Yeah. Uh, but, so this is for our professor, uh, Hasta luego. <laughs> Warning, the following piece may be triggering to those who have dealt with assault in the past. If you believe that hearing about assault may be harmful to you, please turn off your radio now. Hello, Eye on the Triangle listeners. Today we're going to talk about a very topical issue to both the nation and NC State, sexual harassment in the work and school sectors. I was recently reading an article published by the News and Observer in light of the Harvey Weinstein scandal that mentioned a few statistics on sexual assault and harassment in the workplace. 30% of women said that they had experienced unwanted sexual advances from a man at the place where they worked. 23% of these were from men who had influence over their jobs. 58% said that they had not reported the incidents to anyone in a supervisory position. While many NCSU students may not be in their career yet, These statistics leave a grim reminder to young female professionals about what their future may bring. The Harvey Weinstein scandal reminded America that we are not as progressive when it comes to sexual harassment as we'd like to believe we are. A young professional woman, no matter how she looks, should never be put into the situation where it is implied that she can get promoted for sexual favors or where she is put into a completely unprofessional situation in the hopes of sexual favors. While I am lucky enough to say that I personally have never been in this position, I still feel angry every time I think that some older men believe that this is an acceptable way to act and that a woman would actually want to advance her career in this way. Every good job, grade, etc. 
that I've had this far has been based on my hard work and qualifications, and I never want anyone to assume anything else, nor would I want an employer to believe I'd do anything unprofessional to further my career. Another important point that was brought up in the articles I read in the New York Times and Washington Post was the imbalance of power in many workplaces. This is especially the case in the Harvey Weinstein scandal. As an incredibly famous, successful, and older man in Hollywood, Weinstein obviously had more power over new actresses and female stage workers in the industry. He held the power over whether or not she was going to succeed in the industry. If she were to go against his advances or report him, an unknown woman in the film industry could lose her chance of achieving her dream based on something she could not control. Not because she messed up or was a bad actress, but because she was put into a place where she had no say by a more powerful older man. If nothing else, I think we as a country should take away a better understanding of the imbalance of power women can face in the professional workplace. We need to have a better understanding of what actions go too far. Obviously, not all employers are going to be predatory, and especially not to the level of Weinstein, but we need to have this discussion. The American Bar Association has a few guidelines for both parties. If you are the one who may be making unwanted advances, be aware of other people's personal space and don't invade someone else's without permission. Don't touch and don't stand too close. Compliments on colleagues' work are appropriate. Compliments on their appearance are not. Questions about their love lives are out of bounds. So are sexually explicit language, including jokes, whether whispered in the snack bar or sent by email. Sexist and demeaning comments about women suggesting that an employee may provide sexual favors to keep a job or promotion are unacceptable. If you are the one receiving the unwanted advances, it's possible that the harasser is unaware his behavior is unwelcome or that it's causing discomfort. Tell him in clear, firm language what he did and that the behavior is unacceptable and it must stop. Document the harassment whether or not you decide to file a complaint. Feminist.org suggests keeping a detailed journal with dates of the incidents and what was said or done. Tell other people, including friends and coworkers, if possible. Get copies of your work records, including performance evaluations, and keep those at home. This has been Marissa Jordan for Eye on the Triangle. Hello, 88.1 WKNC. You are tuned into Eye on the Triangle. This is a part two in a several-part series on hemp. I have here with me a special guest. Will you introduce yourself, please? I'm Dr. Med Bird. I am a teaching associate professor over in the paper science and engineering program. And I've been working off and on with industrial hemp as a research area for over 20 years. That is pretty exciting stuff. Uh, would you say that you are kind of a pioneer in this field 20 years ago? Oh, no. Uh, I am a dilettante. Um, my specialty in research is alternative fibers, even though it must be recognized that wood is an almost perfect way to supply fiber for papermaking. If you start on the basis that wood is bad for paper because it's bad for the environment, then you're starting off on the wrong foot to begin with. That being said... Nature gives us a variety of different kinds of plants, and sometimes we can get unique properties from those plants, and so they're worth looking at. So over the past 20 years, I've looked at kudzu and um, and uh, wheat straw and rice straw and corn stalk and bamboo, industrial hemp, canaf. So there's been a variety of them. Uh, I met with some people a couple of weeks ago that were representatives of a hemp supplier and uh, 
they they seem to be convinced that hemp is actually a better resource for paper than trees are uh, in terms of production per square land area and so on. Can you speak at all to that? Well, you have to look at the whole thing. And people who think hemp is better for paper than wood, A, don't understand the current supply system, and B, want to sell hemp. So those two things drive that. They often mean well, but they are not coming from a data-based decision. So you have to look at what is the life cycle of a plant that's going to be turned into paper. So if you look at the annual crops like hemp, Versus the perennial crop, like wood. Wood is technically a perennial crop because, you know, it stays there for about 30 years, and then you harvest it and start again. So wood grows very densely, and most of its mass grows up. It can be stored on the stump, so you only have to cut the tree down when you need it, and you need to keep a minimum inventory. If you've got a 1,000 acres of hemp in the fall, when it's time to harvest, you better harvest before the winter rains come and rot it in the field. And then you've got your whole year supply of raw material that you've got to store somewhere because your paper process is running one day at a time. So now you've got a warehouse inventory issue. And what happens to that raw material? Does it rot if you don't keep it well? And plus, for proper use, hemp has to be what we call redded. It has to be allowed to lay in the field for a certain amount of time so that natural bacterial enzymatic action separates the outer stem, the bast, which is a furry material with long fibers from the woody core, which we call the herd. And so that means that your field is sitting there, and if you if you leave it there too long, it rots. If you don't leave it long enough, you don't get good separation. It sounds like hemp may be a really good resource for other types of end products, but not necessarily paper. Well, so here comes the, the value proposition. So we have to do better by our farmers. We have not done well by our farmers. Farmers get it on the chin every time. We being the United States? Yes, the public. So we give a lot of money to the middleman, and we give a lot of, a lot of um, profit at the end of the chain, but we, don't, we pay a pittance to the farmers. And we tend to tell farmers what they can't do instead of giving options what they can do. I come from a farming family. And it's been said that the land in the area of North Carolina east of the I-95 corridor is one of the poorest areas of the country. But it has some incredible farmland good rain, good sun, and lots and lots of fallow land because people don't know what to grow. Now, I'm not a farming economics person, but that's what I understand. It's been said that east of North Carolina, east of the I-95 corridor, is poorer than Mississippi. That's not good. So we need to give farmers options, and hemp could be an option. And the reason that a lot of people get excited about hemp, there's two reasons. One of them is they believe it's an environmental miracle plant that's going to save us from our environmental sins. Ain't no such thing. We got into the state we're in in a very complex way, and it's going to take a complex way to get us out. So a lot of people see hemp as a salvation plant. Its magical properties are going to save us. Not going to happen. But it is a crop that gives you a fiber that could be used for paper, a fiber that can be made into textiles, a food crop in the form of seed meal, oil in the form of seed oil and it and so it has and you can make rope out of it and tarps and canvases so it has a lot of different products if people are willing to buy it it's also very easy on the land it doesn't require the same level of agrochemicals that say cotton or tobacco do and it has incredibly good yield it's an easy grow 
And so that would be good for farmers if we could get everybody's act together to say, would you like to grow this and I'll buy the herd for this for animal bedding or for some sort of filler material or to make particle board out of. And I'll buy the best and I'll use it as a replacement for glass fibers in reinforcing plastic panels to try to make them more recyclable or incineratable when the life of the car or the thing is done. So if you could get this coordinated strategy, it could very well be a good crop for farmers. But instead, we tell the farmers, no, you can't grow it unless you have a permit. And the DEA takes a dim view of it because they consider it the same as marijuana. I was actually going to segue into that conversation. Would you say uh, that the political atmosphere towards hemp and its relation to marijuana today is the same, better, or worse than it was 20 years ago when you started your hemp research? Um, it's probably the same. I'm sitting here looking at I brought a newspaper clipping. It says, and it's from 1998, front page of the News and Observer, picture of me with my ugly mug holding a handful of industrial hemp and some paper we've made from it. And, of course, they picked hardy har har Professor pushes industrial hemp. And I'm talking clever. And I'm talking almost 20 years ago, and some of the same points here in print are the same points I'm making here on this show. Um, it's so funny. It seems like we call hemp and non-wood fibers a pulsar. It pulses on, then it disappears. It pulses on again, and it disappears. Same thing with bamboo and canaf. And now the hemp pulsar is pulsing because I think maybe what's happening with marijuana legalization. So the audience should know it's all cannabis sativa, but industrial hemp is the low THC version. It's also called native hemp, and it used to grow wild in, especially in places like Kentucky and Missouri. They call it ditch weed, and it was encouraged to be grown uh, during the World Wars as a source of fiber because cotton was in a short supply, and farmers were encouraged to grow it. It has a low THC level. Below 0.3% for those of you that are curious. And, you know, the standard joke, and of course I say it every time, is you'd have to smoke a joint the size of a telephone pole to get an even moderate buzz out of it. Um, We had a bale of it in our lab, and it kept getting smaller, and then it stopped because I think all that people got out of it was a real bad headache. So somebody found certain cultivars that the THC was higher in, and they found out it had delightful properties. And so there was a lot of crossbreeding that went on, and that begat the modern marijuana plant, which is a high-THC cannabis sativa plant. And, of course, then, because that's a drug, the DEA steps in, and it's regulated, and in most states outlawed. And the DEA still uh, says you can't grow industrial hemp without a permit because you'll sneak marijuana into it. And that's... If you ask our friends in law enforcement in Canada, in Germany, in England, they'll laugh at you. They say that would be very hard to do because you plant the two plants differently. If you're planting cannabis sativa as marijuana, you really want lots of leaf, right? That's where the highest concentration of the resin is. And so you plant them with spacing like you would a tobacco plant because you want those leaves to reach out. And so if you fly over a field of marijuana, it looks kind of light green. You plant industrial hemp for minimum leaf and maximum stem. So you plant it with a seed drill like you would wheat. You want the stem. And so it looks dark green. So if the DEA got in their drug copter and flew over a field and they saw cannabis, 
dark, 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 light, nuke it, and you're done. So it sounds like the uh, social conjunction between hemp and marijuana might be perpetuated by people that, that want to maintain control over this crop. All right, there's a couple of conspiracy theories. We shouldn't dabble in conspiracy theories, but they're fun. And so I went to several meetings of the North American Industrial Hemp Council, and I was actually an invited guest speaker. And they kind of liked me and hated me because I would always tell them what they didn't want to hear about how good wood was for paper, but they liked the fact that I was up front. And you'd go to these conferences, and here would be this audience, and it would be a very strange combination of people. Up at the front would be all these farmers and farmers' advocates and solid citizens of the community desperately wanting to make farmers' lives better and with the best intent. And then sitting in the back would be this row of people with tamashanters and hooded robes. Hooded robes. And then, and as soon as we'd go out for a coffee break, they would blaze up. And you'd say, well, what do they, re- are they really care about farmers' issues? Or are they secretly... Do they? So some of the industrial hemp movement is contaminated with people who really want to push a marijuana agenda. I, you would expect that, right? Sure. The other conspiracy theory is, I'm probably going to get in a lot of trouble for saying this. Mm, let me think about this. Is that it is commonly taken that the most profitable agricultural crop in North Carolina is marijuana, as it is in many states that have good climate. Everybody knows where it is. Everybody knows where it's being grown, but it provides such a revenue stream via sales, kickbacks, cover-ups, that it's a system that some people don't want to mess with. And so what you have to understand in some ways, again, I'm not a plant pathologist, biologist, or whatever. I'm just a chemical engineer, paper engineer. But I was told by a person who was that if you wanted to go after and destroy marijuana, the best thing you could do is to plant industrial hemp because its pollen with its low THC genes goes into the air, breeds with your marijuana plants, and drags the THC level down because there's much more industrial hemp than marijuana. So it's going to dilute the germplasm and that, um, and that it, will, it would be a great biological warfare agent against marijuana, and there are people who simply don't want that to happen. On the flip side of that coin, wouldn't the pollen from the higher THC marijuana fertilize? Look at the ratios. You grow, you're going to grow hundreds of thousands of acres of industrial hemp if it if it goes, but you only have a you know not that much marijuana. Marijuana is planted here and there in small patches, so it's, it's a matter of uh, margins and scale. Can you speak at all to that ratio in places like California or Colorado where? recreational use of marijuana has become normalized or legalized? I have absolutely no feel for what acreage of, of marijuana is being grown in the states where it's legal now. And, and, and of course, it's probably increasing as we speak. It's growing absolutely because it's a lot of tax dollars there. Do you think that the hemp and marijuana industries can actually work together to help push each other's agendas, or are they just two completely conflicting ideas? Hmm. Uh, I, I don't know how to answer that because they're, they're both looking for the same thing, which is profits. Uh, one would be called a 
specialty profits. So the marijuana would be the the high value crop, and the industrial hemp would be the commodity type of crop. So, high versus low margin type crops. Right. Right. So um, it's it's an interesting proposition. My basic premise is we should always look out for our farmers. And instead of telling them you can't plant this, let them plant it. And let the cruelest arbiter is not the law and not the DEA. It's the market. Absolutely. The market will ar- arbitrate. The money will dictate what happens. And so, you know, I'm glad to see that there's a industrial hemp commission in North Carolina and that they are granting licenses. That's a step in the right direction. I have a colleague who's actually working on a process that could extract an extremely, extremely value biopharmaceutical compound from industrial hemp that brings huge margins, just as good as marijuana, and helps people's health. You're talking about CBD? Yes. And so CBD, if it goes, that could flip this. Because now the CBD pays for the crop to be grown. And now, since you've covered the cost with the value-added product, now you have freedom to find someone who will take the byproduct, the herd, or the bast, and now you can sell it to them at a reasonable price. They'll buy it. They'll build the market, and now the chicken and the egg are satisfied, and the loop starts building, and farmers win. So the uh, advent of CBD and medical use of the hemp plant without THC content or with minimal THC content uh, could potentially be extremely useful to the hemp industry. Yes. And so that is ongoing right now. There's there's research going on right now that could change the whole paradigm. That's very exciting stuff. Uh, I, I do want to put you on the spot about this. We can cut this out in post if you want to. But uh, I understand that you have a, a close friend that some people may know that is quite an advocate of uh, your your hemp research and foray into this field. Can you speak to the subject? Oh, sure. So um, if you're in the non-wood business and if you deal in research, you meet the most interesting people. And so I've met incredible people in, in my 20 years of doing research on this. And somehow the actor Woody Harrelson found out that we were doing research in non-woods, and really want to look at research into industrial hemp. So uh, in addition to being a great actor, he is passionate about the environment, and he's willing to put his money where his mouth is. He might not know what he's talking about, but he's willing to try, which is more than you can say for a lot of other people with means, fame, and money. And so he was willing to put money to try to develop a alternative to wood for paper, and I pushed back on him and told him how good wood was for paper, and that maybe he should look at developing a specialty thing, maybe a, a, a woody line of paper. That's, that's, a, that's a paradox right there. Um, and so uh, I actually was a consultant for him and actually uh, have flown out to California and met with him and talked. He is a great guy, and he's passionate about the environment, and he's tried several different investments to look at ways to develop paper, not only from hemp, but also from flax, which is the um, the plant where you get linen or linseed oil from. It's uh, and grown a lot in Canada, and they have a lot of that. And boy, that's even more challenging than hemp. Uh, the flax fiber is 60 millimeters long. My goodness. It's like 
nature's rope. Sounds sounds about right. And when you cook flax, you end up with nothing but giant mop heads that um, are very difficult to deal with. So that's a different topic. But I have worked with Woody Harrelson um, and still occasionally hear from him. He's still very passionate about the environment. I don't think he's doing anything with hemp right now. Well, at least not industrial hemp. <laughs> yeah, we'll try to create that social distinction here. Uh, industrial hemp and recreational marijuana, two totally different things. And uh, the societal distinction between that is pretty crucial towards making a profitable and legal hemp industry uh, and kind of advocating for that social change. Yeah, it's interesting what the next decade is going to bring. North Carolina is a very conservative state, uh, even more so now of late than it used to be. It was progressive there for a while, and now it's regressed. Uh, not Raleigh, of course. Not Raleigh, of course. Um, and so it's very interesting to see, though, once we can send you to see those giant tax revenues coming in from legal marijuana, how long will conservatism be able to push back on what could be an enormous source of revenue for the state, for the counties or whatever. And so it's very interesting to see then if, if marijuana becomes legal, what does that do in turn for the industrial hemp industry? Does it remove gates or does it matter since we've got permitting now? Well, this is all very exciting stuff. Uh, thank you for shedding some light on the subject, Dr. Bird. Is there anything else that you'd like to add before we wrap up today? No, it's just it's 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 an interesting topic, and it's on the burner, and it's boiling right now. And uh, new developments are underway. Some I can speak about, some I can't. But it's it's going to be uh, we may be looking at a very different situation three years from now. Uh, is there a reason for that three-year metric? Well, CBD is a part of it, uh, and maybe a few other things that people are looking at as far as uh, things that we can get out of hemp. So it's, uh, it's, it's good for everybody to maintain an open mind, right? Clear communications, transparency. And I would always stress what is good for our farmers. We must take care of our farmers. Okay. Uh, well, I appreciate your time, Dr. Bird. I just thought of one more question. Uh, do you think that lobbyists for big pharma or big uh, like alcohol companies or anything like that are trying to maintain the conjunction between hemp and marijuana to try and keep a potential competitor at bay? Mm, that's a conspiracy theory that's beyond my pay grade. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time, Dr. Verd, and uh, please feel free to tune in in the future for further episodes on hemp. Yeah, thanks for having me. You're listening to Eye on the Triangle on 88.1 WKNC HD1 Raleigh. I am Nick Weaver, joined by Marissa Jordan, and today we're going to take a, a few minutes here to uh, talk about a very important date in history, or event in history, shall I say, yesterday. Uh, the execution of Sir Walter, Ra Sir Walter Raleigh, our city's namesake, in London in, uh, what year was it? 1618, many years before America was formed, for treason. Tell me a little bit more about that, Marissa. I do not know. Anyway, he's a prisoner in the court of uh, King Edward the Fifth. Um, they were he or excuse me, he was in the favor up until um, of course he was beheaded. 
Right. Well, after that, he wasn't in anyone's favor. He was dead. What a name. One of her maids of honor. Oh, that is a that is a cheap romance comedy right there. Just waiting to happen. Oh, the plot thickens. Yeah. It's really hard when your ex is the queen. After Elizabeth died in 1603, Raleigh was implicated as a foe of King James I. Man, this guy cannot win. And imprisoned with a death sentence. The death sentence was later commuted. And in 1616, Raleigh was freed to lead an expedition to the New World, this time to establish a gold mine on the Orinoco River uh, region of South America. However, the expedition was a failure. When Raleigh returned to England, the death sentence of 1603 was invoked against him. Uh, So that didn't go well for him. But, I mean... See, now that's the plot of, like, a weird horror finance movie. That's that's a new genre we're starting at today, historical horror finance. Uh, but, yeah, as you as we all know, uh, Sir Walter Raleigh, very famous for his three major expeditions to uh, America, namesake of our city, and uh, also poet. And, wait, what? Well, that's a fun fact for you. Oh. Oh. Oh, that's too much. Okay. <laughs> Yes. Okay. So, namesake of our city and groundhog, and uh, also a poet, apparently. Uh, which I mean, I guess you have to be if you're going to be locked in the Tower of London for so many years. But yeah, fun fact of the day or yesterday in history, as it was. Thought we might talk about that on the show since it's uh, you know relevant to our city. But that about does it for this week's show. Thanks for joining us on this fantastic Monday evening, assuming you've been listening to this live. If you're catching our Wednesday rebroadcast, good morning and good day. We hope you enjoyed the show. As always, if you heard anything you liked, you hated, or anything that made you think, let us know at publicaffairs at wknc.org. I'd like to thank our contributors and the rest of the staff here at Eye on the Triangle, namely Matt Schneider and Will Mayo for today's segments. And if you'd like to join the team, feel free to email us again at publicaffairs at wknc.org. To contribute, you must be an active member of NC State's student body. Uh, that is all for today. For Eye on the Triangle, I am Nick Weaver. Thanks again for listening in. You know the drill. Stay tuned for your usual programming of amazing indie music, and we'll see you all again next time. <laughs>